Live from Los Angeles, this is Rabbi Erez Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines, where we speak about the intersection of sports and faith. This week, we are joined by an amazing guest, a photographer for Getty Images. She has photographed every major event in the world, from the World Cup to the Super Bowl, from the World Series to the NBA Finals to the Stanley Cup Finals, to the U.S. Open, which will be happening just in a couple of days, fresh off of the Olympics in Tokyo, 28 days there. We are proud and so thrilled to welcome Elsa Garrison from Getty Images. Elsa, it's so great to have you. Thanks for, ha- thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Well, uh, this is awesome to not just hear from you, but a little later I'll show some images and maybe you can walk us through how you either decide to get those images and really what we see, um, not during the play, but actually after the play. So we've spoken to a lot of broadcasters over this past year on Rabbi on the Sidelines, we've spoken to athletes, coaches. We really haven't spoken to the people that capture those images. So what drew you to number one photography, but actually sports photography in specific, as opposed to any other thing that you could capture in this world? Well, I think um, when I started taking pictures, I was in high school and um, my friends were all athletes and I was not. So it was a way for me to kind of share that experience with them. And what I loved about sport photography, especially early on when I started in you know, the nineties, the it was, it was all manual focus, mm-hmm. um, you know, manual exposure, everything. It, it was, it was not an easy thing to do. And that's the part I loved about it. It was a challenge. I loved, you know, the challenge of focusing, capturing, you know, peak action and storytelling moments. And it was a way for me to feel like I was still a part of, of what my high school friends were experiencing and then flash forward, you know, into a, a career. I've never was really a sport junkie, you know, um, that's when people that's, Someone asked me, he's like, oh, are you a fan? I'm like, no, I, I, I purely like it from the, the photography aspect of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, the technical end of, of kind of sport photography and how it's all problem solving. And, um, you know, because every venue is different, every situation's different. And as a photographer, I need to kind of solve those problems and figure it out. So how am I going to make images that represent the history of this game in and that's, that's what the biggest thing I love about my job. So I love how you use the word storytelling. In my profession, I use words to tell, and here you use a camera. So number one, what is that difference, for instance, from the days where you had to develop the film as opposed to the time now where I guess you can write, look at the image digitally, delete, et cetera? Like, how has that changed? How you, is there more leeway? Is there, is there a tighter window? What, what does that look like? So when I first started, I actually traveled around with a darkroom kit and all I, I had a changing bag and I used, I, I'm sure I cooked a lot of film because it was, uh, so I'd have like a DevTech, which was um, this, this device that kind of kept the water at a constant temperature. Um, I used a hairdryer to dry my film, which is probably not a good thing to do, but all I needed was running water. I had a changing bag. I didn't need a light tight room and, you know, I had a film scanner. So I'm carrying less uh, side equipment, which allows me to carry more camera equipment, I guess. But um, the way the business has changed from doing film versus digital, I feel like now when I first started, uh, example would be a baseball game. So I'd shoot a seven o'clock baseball game. Well, most newspaper deadlines were you know, around eight, eight thirty, uh, at mm-hmm. least on the east. So you're, you're trying to hit those East Coast newspaper deadlines. And so that would mean shooting one or two images of or in one or two innings of the game have to go process film, scan oh, wow. it what you could, and then make it back out for like the fifth inning and then wrap up the game. Now I'm 
I'm constantly uploading images and it's um, so for example, tomorrow night I have a Mets game here in New York. And so I will shoot the first half inning and at the very least get images of the pitcher um, uh, because you never know if the pitcher's going to have a great game or have a bad game. And either way, someone's going to be writing about him and talking about him. Any scoring that happens or any big plays that happen, I get out at the end of that first half inning. And so every half inning I'm, you know, ingesting cards, I'm, you know, tagging images, you know, cropping images, catching them, it's just a constant workflow. And so what used to be at a, at a film game, you know, if I sent, you know, 15 images, that was great. Now, if I don't get 15 images out in the first couple of innings, wow. then there's something wrong. So wow. um, it, it went from, you know, my entire game take to, of being 15 to 20 images on the wire post game versus now it's about 60. That's amazing. I mean, even, you know, you type in Dodgers Mets and all of a sudden during the game, you're seeing these images, which is, I mean, fun for us as fans, but I can't imagine the workload and pressure that you're uh, dealing with on the other side within that, within the well. Um, you said that you, for instance, you do portraits in spring training, but you also do these game shots. What makes a good sports photograph, right? And since you're doing these game shots, how do you know, or at least try to anticipate what will be that moment of, I'll show you in a couple of seconds, but you know, the umpire doing safe or that slide into home plate. How do you anticipate being there at the exact millisecond that you have to be? Um, so I think the more you cover a sport and the more you work a venue, the more, you know, it's nuances and intricacies. And so, um, obviously that helps, um, me kind of anticipate or, or predict what, what a team's going to do. Cause if you, a lot of athletes kind of are, are creatures of habit and baseball is definitely one of those sports where they're very methodical, kind of superstitious, you know, a little bit. And, you know, like pregame, you can see some guys like, okay, you don't, you know, no one touches, you know, a player's bat. Like, you know, there's all these superstition things that people follow. So, you know, the more you work something, the more that you will understand it as a sport and kind of what the athletes will do. And so you just keep that in the back of your mind. I like to call, when I cover something, what, you know, you're kind of like a manager, your game management. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you decide, okay, I'm going to bring this set of lenses with me. I'm going to start shooting from here. And some venues you can move around some places you cannot. So that's, you know, you have to decide, okay, if I can't move around, how am I going to capture all these things that I'm going to need to capture during the game? And so for example, baseball game, I shoot both starting pitchers. I often shoot um, action pictures of any of the other pitchers that come in the game Obviously, follow the storylines. I'm checking Twitter throughout the mm. game to see if there wow. are things that are happening behind the scenes that I might not know wow. about. I have the game cast on in the back of the room. I have like the MLB like stat cast thing up as I'm going, you know, just to see if there are any milestones. I often read game notes uh, for each sport before um, I start shooting just to see if there are any, you know, milestones or or records that are going to be broken at a particular game. So at least I'm aware of all that stuff in the background and I can react accordingly when I, when, when the opportunity presents itself. <laughs> well, it sounds like a sports junkie to me, yeah. <laughs> but at least doing the, the work, it's not just actually capturing that moment. Um, and then any secrets, by the way, in the LA venues in terms of photography, whether it's a uh, Staples or Dodger stadium that like the, the things that we don't see that you see when you're down there. Um, you know, the thing that I love about Staples is it's definitely very Hollywood because it's all very theater lit, like of, of all yeah. the NBA arenas that I've covered and, and you know, hockey arenas like that. Staples has some of the best net, you know, available like you know, around. So everything looks 
great whenever you shoot from there um, versus some arenas, arenas that might not be as well lit. Um, but um, I think what's great is, you know, fans are slowly coming back into the play mm -hmm. and I, and that really adds to the atmosphere and the players feed off of it. We all feed off of it. And so that, that helps your pictures. Um, for me as a photographer, you know, I'm looking for ways to tell the story of the game, whether it's through peak action or reaction. And what I'm looking for when I'm shooting is, um, you know, do I want a scene setting picture where I'm shooting something maybe a little bit wider so you can kind of see the environment or am I focusing really tightly on the action of, of what those players are doing, you know, looking at the shapes of their body, like are they mm. making something sort of interesting and creative that is going to catch someone's eye and like lead them into maybe reading more about what happened on that game or a reaction picture, a celebration, dejection, all those things, you know, can relate the casual viewer to like, Oh, okay. It, there's a human element here. And, you know, this, this person is, is really celebrating a, a great athletic feat or is really just devastated after training mm -hmm. for all this time and, and to come short in the end. Um, so those are the kind of the story picture telling pictures I'm looking for. I think today what has changed in about the way that photography is consumed, it's um, there's just never enough. <laughs> I feel like there's, mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that you can consume things, whether it's on social media with Twitter and Instagram or if it's in image galleries on sports sites, um, you just, you can, you know, you can never shoot too much, I feel like. Um, but when I'm thinking about where images are going to play, I think if it's going to be on a mobile device, I like to shoot a little bit tighter. So then oh, more of the person's kind of face fills the frame. So you can really feel that impact and feel like you're really there with them in that moment, you know, whether they're going up for a dunk or whether they've hit a home run or a grand slam any of that. So that's as a photographer, as a visual journalist, that's how I'm approaching how I cover things. So two days ago, it was 824 in LA. It was actually Kobe day. Um, any special Kobe moments that you had captured over the, your time as a photographer? So when I first started, I was living in Los Angeles and um, mm. I began my career at Getty Images. It was actually all sport, um, was a photo agency that was acquired by Getty a few years later, but my time is counted with them. Um, Kobe Bryant had just started um, his Lakers career and um, it was amazing to see how he developed as a player over the years. And um, I guess that the one picture that always registers in my mind, it was from his last uh, NBA all-star game and it was in Toronto. And if anyone who knows uh, Kobe and his relationship with his daughter, Gigi, and that she loves basketball, that she's always out there pregame with him during warmups. And so I shot this picture of them uh, together that, you know, after they both died, um, kind of got a lot of use again. But it was a really lovely moment of them just, you know, he, he hugging his daughter and um, just you could see how much, you know, they loved each other and it was it was really beautiful. I actually think I have that right here. So just give us one moment. Um, let's see here. Sorry. Oh, all good. Let's check that. Can you see that right there? Yep, there it is. Yeah. So uh, that was at the All Star Game, correct? Yep, that was in Toronto. That was his last All Star Game, and so. Wow! Wow! Yeah, it was it was really cool. So I I just always really admired their, their relationship and um, or how close he was with his daughter. And it, it would have been really interesting to see, you know, how she could have changed the, the game of women's basketball. I mean, it's, mm. you know, I think it's, 
um, definitely, definitely sad, obviously, that uh, they passed. Sure. But I, I just, and I remember during uh, NBA finals that I've covered with them when she was just a little, little tiny little kid, like he, she was always holding her, um, you know, when they were up on the podium getting the, uh, the, oh, their, wow. the, the trophies. And um, so take us through actually some of these people. So the Williams sisters, the U.S. Open will not have them for the first time, I believe, since 2003. Uh, I don't know if you remember that moment or what you what you're capturing and what story that tells. Um, so, you know, when Serena um, is always um, Serena's great. I love her athleticism, her her grit or and she just, you know, she sometimes can be her own worst enemy, I think. But um, she um she always plays really well at the U S open or, you know, the U S open is I think one of her favorite tournaments and New York loves her. And um, I think sometimes Serena will kind of, will get behind on, on the set and, and she finds a way. And she, when she starts digging herself out and winning those points, she really celebrates and she really lets it out. And, and that's what, as a photographer, I love that because, you know, great reaction uh, moments are, are my favorite. Um, things to shoot. And I just feel like you have more of a connection than with an average, you know, action shot. So, so I'm always a- looking for her, even after, after she wins a point, I always stay on her to react even, or if she loses a point, she's always going to, to give me something that will illustrate uh, a different side of the, of the game other than just serves backhands, forehands, you know? Well, I love what you said in an interview recently that I read about, it's not about the action, it's about the reaction. And for me as a rabbi, that's actually what faith is about, right? It's not necessarily yeah. about the moment, but actually it's about what happens next and how you react to that moment that happened. Um, so like, I, I love when I read that, you're like, I, I don't care about the final shot. I mean, obviously we do, right? Yeah. But like, what is that moment when the when the player's in tears on the bench or when the person's hoisting the trophy because they hit that game winner? Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. That's so, like, I feel like yeah, that's how you can make that connection with someone. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's one thing to look at a great action picture and say, oh, wow, that's a wonderful athletic feat. But you don't have as a human being a connection to how they're feeling at that moment until mm-hmm. after, you know, until after that moment when when you see how they react to it. And then you're like, you can say, oh, I can feel that with them. So you spent 28 days in Tokyo. Um, you spoke about fans, and obviously Tokyo had no fans. Um, what what was the Olympic experience there, and how did it compare to you know the Olympics that you've covered before, whether in Rio, winter, summer? Like, I mean, it, it was, happened. It was successful, but what was it like? <laughs> it was definitely different, and it was a lot more restrictive, obviously. And so there weren't a lot of movement as far as um, you know us as photographers. We were kind of uh, assigned to a certain venue for a good period of time. It wasn't like mm. past Olympics where I could cover a wide variety of sports. Um, so this one, I started off with fencing and I was on fencing for the first nine days. And so it was a little like Groundhog's Day. It's like, okay, get up in the morning, take the bus, you know, like, but. Um, and like, what's your knowledge of fencing before the Olympics? None, actually. Um, I didn't really so. have a lot of knowledge of fencing. <laughs> so I did actually do kind of a feature picture story on an, a British um, fencer named uh, Marcus Mepstead. He, actually trained here in Brooklyn and he was the only member of the GB team. Like they didn't have a great Britain, you know, didn't have a fencing team. So he got the funding himself and, you know, used team GB to get to the Olympics. And so I followed him during his training and it was amazing to me how hard those athletes train and you Mm. wouldn't even know, you wouldn't even think about it. And 
Um, I mean, he's working out like, you know, six, seven hours a day, <laughs> like, oh, wow. and, you know, he has like, a, you know, a technical skills. He was doing, you know, endurance training, all these different things. And just to kind of see it all come together was really interesting. But he explained a lot of the, the different disciplines to me a little bit. And so I had a little bit of an idea going in what I was what's getting into. But um, after about two or three days of shooting, it's like, okay, I know what's going on now. <laughs> you know, if you're there for 12 hours a day, you, you figure it out wow. pretty quickly. Um, so did you get to was, catch the Israeli baseball team at all by any chance? No, I didn't get no. to go to baseball. I was so bummed about that. Baseball is my favorite, but I think the way this Olympics was, um, there were a lot of venues that were really spread out. So the football was really far away. The baseball was really far away. And so it was kind of the photographers who covered those were based more out in that region versus where I was kind of closer to the press center. So I was closer to uh, a lot of all those other in-town events. So I did some beach volleyball as well because I was just really close. And what was interesting is so they would pipe in music at the beach volleyball. So they hired a DJ from Los Angeles actually. And I can't remember his name. I wish I I would written it down, but it was very, very good. Um, to kind of give that sort of, um, atmosphere and vibe. And it really actually helped. Um, but the fencing, they play music sometimes like during the intros when they come out, but then once the fencing started, it was so quiet in there. And, um, it it felt like you were shooting practice, but then it really, it all meant something. And, towards the uh, the latter part of the day they'd have medal matches every night and so then their teammates who either didn't make it or their other coaches like they were sitting in the stand so then there was some kind of noise factor you know some cheering and 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 going on but it wasn't nearly what it would have been had it been a packed stadium and um and it was i noticed it too i shot one u.s women's football match and there was nobody Nobody in the stands and it was just it was weird. And so they mm-hmm. play music and that kind of helped, but it, you know, it was just, yeah, it was a very sterile environment. So take us through this picture. I believe that's Simone Biles, right? Yep. That um, was from Rio. Is, exactly. Not this year, but when I just saw this, I was like, wow. Um, did, did you cover gymnastics this time? And if not, what's your take on Simone Biles from before and what happened this year during the Olympics? So um, I did actually one round of gymnastics when she performed on the beam. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but for, um, that was the only gymnastics I had this time. And I think actually when in Rio, too, that was the only gymnastics I shot was when she uh, meddled in the beam. Um, I think I, I did a little research on the twisties, and uh-huh. um, it's, a real, it's a real thing. And, it, and you can't predict when it's going to when it's going to come. And if you lose that equilibrium, I mean, you looked at all the different and difficult things that she did in her, in her floor routine and her beam routine, you know, if, if you don't have that equilibrium and you can't finish that, you know, that move, you could seriously injure yourself. And so I think, you know, while I'm really sad that she, you know, wasn't able to compete in the way that she wanted to, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that she was able to at least, kind of finish out on the, on the beam. But, um, you know, she, to me has really nothing to prove to anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, you know, she's, she's played through injury. She's played through all these different things or competed in all through different things. And during, during her qualifications and, and all the events leading up to Tokyo, she more than proved that she is a talented gymnast. And Absolutely. yeah, uh, I think, you know, Winning a medal for her, I'm sure was was great. Um, but you know, she she's already the most one of the most decorated gymnasts. So I think she's 
she's more than proven, proven herself. Um, but I'm glad that she didn't try and, and power through mm-hmm. something that she, I mean, she seriously could have hurt herself. Like if, you know, just taking a wrong fall. I mean, just, you know, not having, having your bearings about you when you're in the mid of those technical moves. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about historical moments for a second. Uh, one of them that I love that I didn't realize was you until I did some research was Steve Bartman in yeah. Chicago Cubs. Uh, you're there. Guy puts his hand out. Um, walk us through that and how that became really a moment of history from Chicago Cubs history. And thankfully they won the World Series a little later. Yeah. So that was 2003. It was the NLCS against the Marlins. And um, so the there was always this thing like they, you know, you'd always you hear like the curse of the Billy goat and, you know, like the, um, how they were cursed and how, and all these different things that both the Cubs and the Red Sox had done prior to winning their, you know, drawing up their world series droughts. Um, you know, I just remember seeing at Fenway park, like, you know, priests with like holy water coming by and like, you know, <laughs> then they'd like, you know, they bring the goat every, um, or the Billy goat to, uh, to, um, to Wrigley every, before every season starts to try and like, Disp- you know, get rid of all that, you know, bad. We got some blessings here for the Clippers. So we'll see what yeah. happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But so um, I, it was during playoff games. I'm often a num- one of like two or three f- other photographers. So we had two photographers on the field and it was my um, turn to be up in the stand. So I was actually shooting in one of these um, kind of broadcast television baskets that they had a couple of television cameras and then a few of us still photographers there. And so um, for me, I'm always, uh, especially when you're in that position upstairs, I feel like as a photographer, my job is to really work on defense. And so, wow. you know, when you're working in that sort of environment uh, with other photographers, typically the photographer that shoots from the first base side is focused on offense. And, you know, as mm. is the, the third, you know, both the field of photographers are typically focused on offense. And so I feel like the elevated photographer focuses on defense. Um and I'm I, usually I think, focused on my popcorn, but good. There you go. And so <laughs> for me, when I'm, when I'm shooting, um, especially baseball, the more you shoot, the more you kind of know where, you know, if a batter is a puller or if they pull this way or that way or, mm-hmm. or where they typically, you know, hit. Um, so you can kind of get your defensive shots that way, knowing in the back of your head, it's like, okay, he's probably going to ground out to short. So as soon as he hits it, I'm going to go to short, you know, whatever. So I – when it when a pop fly happens, I follow it all the time. And most of the time, it, it's you know, which is like can of corn. You know, they catch it, whatever. That's um, but sometimes collisions happen. Sometimes you know, um, it goes into the stands, and so you just never know. So I always follow it, and it actually produced something. Then, and it didn't occur to me that that it was a thing until after the game once you know, everyone identify that poor man and, um, you know, me and he, his life in Chicago changed forever. But, um, what I find interesting is that no one really talks about the errors committed afterwards that Mm. caused the runs, not necessarily the the foul ball that, you know, would have only been like the second out of that inning, but, but, um, but yeah, so I think it's important to, to, that's how you show every aspect of the game. You follow, you follow the ball and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So in this case, it's, it did. And I think for me, what, what I took away from that moment as a photographer is when I had first started at, at all sport Getty images, um, they were still very much a boutique sport photo agency. And so clients would like newspapers, magazines, websites would go to them for, 
a little bit of a different picture. And they really hadn't built up their wire service until early 2000s. And so what my style of photography did was kind of help usher in that mm. kind of wire service side of Getty Images. And and it's moments like that that are important to get as a, as a, a news photographer. So you're a trailblazer in this industry. Um, there's a small little YouTube about you on woman of influence. I just want to share a moment about gender and photography, which I think is important <laughs> to share with us. Environment pretty accommodating to a female. At first I didn't really give it a lot of thought. And then I kind of was looking around I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm the only one on the sideline. That's not a cheerleader. And I knew that going into it, that I was going to have a different set of rules that I had to follow just because of, of being a woman. And that's, you know, all professional women know that, um, that going into a work environment that especially one that's male dominated, you have to play by their rules. And then after, you know, a couple of months, I found myself, you know, kind of turning into a dude, like the way I talked, like the way I, um, I certainly, I dressed, I didn't want attention drawn to me because I was a woman. I wanted attention drawn to me because I was a good photographer and, and I had a solid work ethic. And so I tried very hard to bring that forward. Well, it's remarkable. Has that changed? Is that true today? Are there other young people who you've impacted who now sit next to you saying, because of what you did, this is what I can do now? Um, I don't know if they directly have said that, said that but um, I guess maybe indirectly. Um, but it's, I guess so, yeah. I think, well, I see more women photographers now than I've ever seen before. Um, there are more women team photographers, whether it's NFL or baseball or hockey than when I started 25 years ago. So that is definitely a, a positive change. Um, you know, I think the, um, the environment is, has changed a lot. So where, you know, I, I'm not, I don't feel so alone, I guess, you know, as far as like, mm -hmm. you know, you, even um, now I work in a lot of bigger markets, so it's, it's different. There are a lot more women that work in bigger markets, but um, yeah. now when I travel to smaller markets, you know, I, I see more women photographers and I think that is a sign of, of real change because, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to work in a big city with a, with a big, you know, big pond of photographers, but to go to a small market and know that, that there are women that are successful and thriving is, is really wonderful. So how did you make that jump? Actually, did somebody say, wow, this Elsa Garrison, just an unbelievable photographer. Was it sort of a gradual slope? I know the first thing you did actually was the chargers out here in San Diego, now the LA and SoFi stadium. Like, what, what is what is that barrier between like small market versus big market? So for me, when I graduated college, um, so I did a couple of internships. And one of my internships before I graduated was with a sport magazine that doesn't really exist anymore called The Sporting News. And they were based in St. Louis at the time, but they were they used to be a baseball publication. And then they started to expand into other sports like hockey and NFL and college football. And so when I was an intern, they were really expanding their coverage. And so they traveled me as an intern. And that was where I got my first nice. taste of being a traveling sport photographer. And I met um, a lot of uh, other photographers from other agencies and magazines. And um, I met some of the editors and they took me to the Super Bowl that year. And it was <laughs> it was a uh, it was Dallas versus the Steelers in uh, in Phoenix. And so that's where I met um, a lot of the editors that would have, would eventually hire me at all sport. And oh, wow. um, so, so I met them at the Super Bowl, and then I reached out and, and said, I, I'm not sure if you have any openings, but, and they said, send us your portfolio. And then I had mm. an interview and next thing you know, I'm moving to LA. And so that's how it started for me. But I think 
it's making those connections, whether it's at events or whether it's at conferences or workshops, you need to make that connection with somebody that's in a position to hire you and, Mm -hmm. and that's, and make that impression. And when you have that opportunity to make that impression count. And so I think. Yeah. Will you be at the Super Bowl this year at SoFi? Uh, no, actually, I'm no. going to Beijing. So uh, if I went oh, wow. to the Winter Olympics, I would probably be at the Super Bowl in SoFi. But it's um, a tough choice. Yeah. So it's um, some in the last couple of years, like the the Olympics and the Super Bowl, they didn't quite overlap. Like you could, mm-hmm. in theory, do both, but they don't like to, to have you do that. This time, yeah. I think opening ceremonies happen the day before the Super Bowl or the day of the Super Bowl, something like that. So um, it's no, there's no way to do both. So I want to ask you one last question. Actually, one and a half last question. But first, a big shout out to Steve Freeman, an uh, old Steve. friend of mine and uh, our family and made this connection here. Steve's an amazing photographer. Oh, I should have brought the pictures I have from uh, Billy Owens he gave me when I was a uh, like sixth grader. So uh, oh, really awesome. amazing, amazing photographer. Um, this is a wonderful photograph. One of my favorite baseball players. Give me one second here. And we'll love the story behind this. Uh, give me one second. There we go. Mariano Rivera walking out into Yankee Stadium. I don't know if that was his last call or not. I think it says thank you. Something. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it says thank, thank you, Mariano, off there exactly. And I, I, I love the black and white image. Just take us through um, capturing this moment. So during his last season, there were a lot of uh, towards the end of the of the season. We knew that the Yankees were going to make the playoffs, and so every game that Mariano pitched, we're like, is this going to be his last one? Is this going to be his last one? And so. They had kind of uh, what they called Mariano Rivera Day at Yankee Stadium towards the, the end of you know September and uh, of his final season. And so, um, if anyone who knows about Yankees or Mariano Rivera, that his walkout song was "Enter Sandman." And so, they had Metallica playing in the outfield, and um, there were a, a few of us that were allowed to stand right by the bullpen oh, door. And so awesome. he made his entrance wow. and there's this picture of all the kind of photographers clustered together. And I think uh, my friend Kathy from AP was right next to me. And then you can see the Yankees photographers and all the videographers. And what is fascinating to me is like, we all shot it differently. And Mm. I was the only one that really went wide with it. And I just thought that what I wanted to show was like his view of coming out of his office. Basically the bullpen is his office. He's coming out to work, you know, like, so what I thought would be really fascinating was to, you know, show that atmosphere. Like that this is one of those times where I felt like you needed to show Yankee stadium and, um, and it was great. It was a packed house and it just, it was perfect. And he is such a, if you, if you've ever met him, worked with him, talked with him, he's such a, a quiet kind of guy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and he just, and just the way that he just kind of waves to acknowledge the fans, like he's got his head down, you know, it's, it, it was classic him. And um, so I knew that after I had shot that, I was like, okay, I think I got something here. Yeah. Um, actually, he was on the team with the Columbus Clippers in AAA when I was in high school with him, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada. And wow. you get into those <laughs> games in the Syracuse MacArthur Stadium, it was called, for like $3 sitting in the front row behind the dugout. Um, it was That's amazing. Yeah, we knew they were, we knew where they were on their way. So for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a good, that's a good lineup. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my gosh. It, it was amazing. So he used to joke that whenever Mariano would like celebrate the last out of a game, it'd be like, you know, like he never really, really gave it up. Even like a world series. He was kind of like, you know, it was, it was pretty subdued compared to other, 
other closing pitchers, but for sure. And I know he actually is a man of faith. This is the question of this podcast. Is there faith in your work? And I don't mean by, you know, on, on the, on the field, absolutely. People cross themselves and, you know, thank God after the game and before the game and everything like that. But I'm talking about the element of faith in yourself, belief in yourself that you're going to capture moments that needed to be captured for, for literally for history. Um, yes, actually there is. I, I feel like now I have that faith and confidence that I know that I'm going to come away with, with something. And for me, there's always this thing as a still photographer is that, Oh, I, you know, there, you don't really think about the pictures that you've got and you think about the ones you've missed. And the way that I think about it is like, okay, if, if I missed it, then it wasn't meant for me to have. And so, you know, that's how I approach it. You know, there are some photographers that really beat themselves up for like, well, why didn't I go over to third or why didn't I shoot this? You know? And, and for me, I think about, it's like, if I were meant to have that picture, then I would have been in the right spot to get it. So Mm -hmm. then I, then I, that's how I let that go and think, okay, but I have all these other things that, that I have gotten. So that was what I was supposed to get. So that was what I was meant to do. So last question, predictions for the uh, baseball season? Who's going to get on top and maybe U.S. Open? Any predictions there? Um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Novak Djokovic does if he mm-hmm. you know, gets his, now that he doesn't have a Rafa, doesn't have Federer to go through, he doesn't have a lot of the, the competitors that he needs to go through, um, whether he'll capture another U.S. Open win. Um, it'll be interesting to see on the women's side uh, who comes up on top if, if Naomi is able to uh, capture another U.S. Open win or if it's uh, going to be somebody else. I mean, we had, you know, Ash Barty won Wimbledon. So we'll see how how the women's side goes. Um, as far as baseball, I think the Giants in San Francisco are playing really well. Um, I, I, selfishly, I would like the Yankees to do well because I live here in New York now. And so then it'd be an easy commute to the baseball. Thing, you know, like it'd be easy, you know, easy work. But um, I think there are a lot of really interesting scenarios on baseball you know the reds are playing really well which who would have thought about that you know or or milwaukee or atlanta um what was interesting i saw that the orioles finally got a win um (laughs) so they lost like against the angels i know yeah i was kind of sad about that it was a magical disneyland thing yeah and i I think it's fascinating like the otani story is really interesting i mean like it's almost someone had equated to like, he's like a little league player because he pitches and he bats, like yeah. he does all these things. And um, I, I think, I, ho- I hope that they, that he does well. Um, it's, it's good for the game of baseball. Um, so I, I think if I had to guess today, I mean, I'm trying to think who's really, pl- I mean, t- t- if you, if it ended today, if you looked at the records, I would guess maybe Tampa versus uh, San Francisco would be, an interesting kind of like, you know, they're both playing pretty well. Um, the Yankees are on, you know, are making a run. I think they're playing really well. Um, I think the, the baseball purists might find an Astros Dodgers world series revenge game. Ooh, interesting. Yes. After but, a 16 inning game last night, we'll see if they got any energy left. Yeah. Oh man. That yeah. was amazing. You know, I, I, I've been at some of those long games, but you know, like, after even with the new rules of of putting which i don't really know how i feel about that to be honest as as someone who's somewhat of a baseball purist i'm like okay i don't like the seven inning double header and i don't like that they put a person on second base for extra innings but you know see what happens see what happens but yeah i don't know what are your predictions for the world series what would you I'm a, I'm a la rabbi so we're talking the dodgers here um but uh the 
Dodgers yeah. Yankees could be fun. That would be amazing. And we can have you in our community in person. And uh, yeah. did you shoot the Lakers championship during the pandemic? No, I did not. I was actually at hockey. I was in Toronto oh, doing nice. hockey for that. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, no, I, I love what you said in terms of storytelling. Um, you often don't think of a photographer as a storyteller. And I love that, that, and also the moment capturing the moment after. I mean, to me, those are the moments that us, as we are about to celebrate our high holidays and our Jewish tradition, um, you know, often people, we, we call our high holy days, the Super Bowl or the world series, but I don't think people often point to the fact that it's not about that moment. It's actually about what you do when you walk out of the synagogue, when you walk out of the stadium, what picture, I might quote you during my sermons this year, what picture do you want to share with the world when you walk out of your spiritual sacred home? So uh, Elsa, I want to thank you. Uh, We hope that you will follow Elsa Garrison. You can follow her on social media. You can also, uh, I love seeing those bylines. It just says Elsa, right? That's what I saw. Yeah, so Getty Images, if you see Elsa, you've heard it here, right on Rabbi on the Sidelines. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, and we look forward to uh, welcoming you to LA shortly. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye, everyone. Yep.